I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. This is the program about you and living your very best life. And today we're going to be talking about something that we all need in our daily lives as we go through transitions, expected and unexpected life events, but most especially now, dealing with not only a health pandemic, but also a mental health pandemic, we need a huge, huge dose and an amount of this. And what is the this? We're talking about resilience. Resilience has got lots of definitions, many connotations. People use it quite loosely. But today, we have someone who is with us all the way from Istanbul, who has made a specialty of studying resilience and sharing her knowledge and her wisdom and experience about what resilience is. Are you born with it? Can you learn it? How do you develop it? How do you make it work in your life? How do we engender it in our children? And everything to do with resilience as helps us thrive in our lives today. So it's my very great pleasure to introduce to you Shulay Quickly. She is a leadership coach, a strategic consultant, and an international keynote speaker with more than 25 years of experience in business strategy, organizational management, and leadership development, consulted for various companies and organizations all over the world, a graduate of Columbia University's master level coaching program, and a certified coach on many, many platforms. She also is a sought after resource and facilitator for the Young President's Organization. And Sule, that's where I really, I heard you a couple of weeks ago on a webinar. I really enjoyed not only the content of what you presented, but the way that you presented it to us in a very digestible form with good take-home values. So welcome to Thrive with Dr. Dean. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. It's a great pleasure. And honestly, you bring to us a lot of what we need now. And of course, as I said, we're talking about resilience, but the problem with resilience is that there seem to be a lots of connotations, various definitions about what it is really. You hear about bouncing back, you hear about flexibility, you hear about inner strength, you hear about resilience is a mindset. So from your point of view, how do we need to think about resilience? What is it really? Thank you. Yes, you're right. There are many words and concepts flying around and being used interchangeably and not all of them encompass what resilience is. I find that the simplest way to define resilience is through an analogy with the bamboo tree. Bamboo is an interesting plant. It thrives in almost all continents and climates around the world. It grows about nine centimeters per day. It can take a lot of rain or it can take a lot of drought. But most importantly, its tensile strength is greater than of steel. So you can bend a bamboo all you like, but you simply cannot break it. And therefore, when we say resilience or when we talk about being resilient, we mean being as flexible and therefore enduring as a bamboo tree. 
I also find uh, that courage is a very important element in resilience. So my definition of resilience definitely contains a level of courage because in a suddenly changing circumstances, you need to look at your own reality bravely and face it before you can survive and then grow with it. So you're talking about two very important elements of resilience. The one is adaptability and flexibility. How much can you adapt and bend and face what you have to face without breaking? Correct. And in order to do that, you have to look at what you're facing. Let's just relate this to what's been happening now. At certainly at the beginning of this pandemic, there was so much emphasis on just be positive, be positive, which kind of meant to a lot of people, don't face it, just be positive. If you're scared, it doesn't matter. It's just a bad day. If you're anxious, if you're stressful, if you're feeling depressed, wait a minute and it'll go away. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about the importance and the courage of looking at the reality of what you're dealing with. And then developing that kind of flexibility and adaptability to deal with. You summarize it very well, actually. So you must be very resilient, Dori. Uh, You're you're spot on. Um, In fact, at the core of resilience, we talk about realistic optimism. Now, this may seem as if they're in the opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're not. We talk about seeing your reality your harsh reality, facing it, but also keeping the hope that things will somehow work themselves out. But the starting point is always realism. And I say, when in doubt, pick being realistic to the point of pessimistic. Okay, so we're seeing that realism and optimism are actually not binary at all. In fact, they both sides of they can be both sides of the same coin. Yes. It's not that you have to be realistic and then because of what you're facing, possibly you're going to fall apart or not be realistic and just be optimistic and plan that everything, believe that everything's going to be fine in the future. There are very fine elements of both that need to coexist. In other words, it's not either or. It's both and. And what I want to ask you is in doing that, how do you not fall apart? One of the things you've said is the belief that however bad things are today, it doesn't define tomorrow. There's a kind of optimism that there could be and that there is going to be a future with a difference so that you can go through today and that belief can motivate you to continue. But when people do face what they're going through, they tend to lose their perspective sometimes. They catastrophize. There's what if. So in the journey of facing it, what helps? Um, Let me approach this from two different angles. The first one will be through a personal story. How did I come across resilience? And I came across resilience in a therapist's office. I actually went in, sat down, and started talking about how deeply unhappy I was. And I simply wanted to be happy. 
And my therapist listened to me, of course, very patiently. Then he suggested a book called The Happiness Trap to accompany our therapy sessions. The book simply takes you through the principle, the main principle of acceptance and commitment therapy. And that we're so busy running after optimism and we're so busy running after happiness, but life is not about that. Life is about meaning. What makes life meaningful is the happy moments together with the unhappy ones. And the earlier you accept that, the more resilient your mindset will be. So this would be my first answer. It's more uh, this philosophical view of life, that it's not just going to be sad or happy, but rather meaningful because of it. And my second answer would be the Stockdale paradox. Um, I'll tell you the story of Admiral James Stockdale. He was an admiral in the U.S. Army. And later on, people consulted him also um, in their you know, management views. And uh, he said, unlike popular belief, it's not the optimists, but it was the realists or the pessimists who survived the Vietnam War. Those soldiers, those prisoners of war who thought they would be saved tomorrow, they would reunite with their families in two weeks, died mostly of broken hearts. But those people who knew that they would be there hungry and tortured for a long time actually made it through. So I know this is difficult to do, but be brutally honest, but keep the hope. And how can you keep the hope? You're asking me also, right, Dory? I mean, how can you manage to do that? There isn't an easy answer to that. I have a formula that I use myself that has worked on me and many other people that I coach or mentor. It's quite a simple one. It is to sit down and ask yourself three simple questions, actually. One, what is in my control? What is beyond my control? In other words, what do I need to accept? What can I change? This will invite you to the reality of your situation and the context of change. Then ask yourself, what is my priority in life at this moment? And who can help me achieve that? This is going to align your priorities with your resources. And finally, ask yourself, to get to action with courage now or in a bit. What is the lesson I'm walking away with from here? How am I changing with change? Sorry to answer your question with questions. No, no. I think that they're very, very important you know, concepts that you've had, that, that you're talking about, the difficulty of it. I mean, you're saying that you need to face the issues and be realistic, and it was actually the pessimist who actually could keep going longer because they just didn't die of a broken heart. How do we keep that hope alive and be realistic at the same time? Yeah, I mean, you must know this better than me, I'm sure, that, you know, they're, like, let's talk about the simple psychological um, experiment they did. They give people scenarios and they say, okay, you're going to a meeting, you're in your car, you're going to a meeting. Scenario A, the traffic is stuck all of a sudden and you know that there's no way you can make it to this meeting. Scenario B, there's a 50% chance that you will make it, 50% chance you will not make it. Which one do you prefer? And everybody prefers A, because uncertainty, ambiguity, 
becomes too stressful for us. Instead, we'd rather take the uh, predictable negative outcome. You know, um, so that's how our brains work. But knowing this, I think we can also try to find hope without knowing when this will ambiguity become a little bit more clear, when the fog will clear. And uh, I think the answer would come more in a personal manner. It's, it, it has to do with how you look at life and how you live life. But where do you find hope? Where do you find faith? You know, is it in a hobby of yours? Is it praying to God? Is it helping hungry children? Is it writing a book? Is it being a coach? Is it talking to Dory? Is it listening to this podcast? So we need to continue to try to find the hope in each and every day in small doses to keep going. So what you're saying is that um, the hope that is really necessary, the realistic optimism, the owning the story, and then being able to more likely define the ending is also associated with finding meaning in the journey and meaning in the journey for you. Maybe it's to do with a renewed sense of gratitude. Maybe it's to do with giving people a priority shift in your life. Yes, yes, you're, you're, you're very right. Viktor Frankl talks about this um, in his book and in Logotherapy as well. And according to him, for example, um, you can either love someone or something very deeply, or you can do a deed. You can really help somebody greatly, or you can really find the meaning in tragedy, which is tragic optimism. See the, the, the hope beyond the tragedy and, and the answer is, is different for everybody. I think timing of this is quite important for self, for how you're looking at your situation yourself and also for other people who are trying to connect with, especially in an empathic way, to offer support for other people. And when I say timing, I haven't met anyone yet who at the time says, hey, thank you, Lord, for this amazing learning opportunity that you're sending me. I am finding so much incredible meaning in this. Mm. Not yet, not in the midst of it. Try saying that to someone who's lost someone, to COVID, or who has a relative who's really, really sick. They may in the future, and we hope that they will see the opportunity and the meaning and the crisis. And in fact, you know that there was another stage that was added to the stages of grief, the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross stages. A sixth one was added by David Kessler, actually called meaning. But he also warns against looking for the meaning too soon and letting people go through it for they see the meaning, they have to, to be able to support them through it. And then they find the meaning down the line. Would you agree with that? Yes, uh, I think so. Um, although it changes uh, from person to person, but yes, in the midst of a crisis, it is difficult to 
keep your perspective or get a new perspective because you're still in the process of surviving and possibly small changes happening, but you have not realized what has happened. Only after you've gone through that journey and it's at different lengths for everybody, I think, then you look at it again and you say, yes, I have changed through this like this and this is what I have learned uh, from it. And again, there is the personality issue here as well. I mean, re resilience is not a personality trait. It's a developmental trait. But certain personality traits help resilience and others hinder it. So if you're an extrovert versus an introvert, it's easier for you to be resilient during times of sudden change and crisis. If uh, you are open to change versus if you're rigid, and more traditional, then again, it's, it's easier for you to be resilient and keep the hope, for example, up. Lots of studies show this, but we, we know for a fact that resilience can be developed no matter what personality trait you have, no matter what certain situation you're in, it can be developed over time. But when you say developing, well, that's fascinating because the next question is how do you develop it? And also how can we teach it to our children? Because that's more important than their ability to do advanced maths. <laughs> and that is why um, in Europe, experimentally, I think in Germany and in, um, in England, some schools are trying out resilience classes at different levels. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, um, I keep looking out for it and how it's going to end up in the curriculum one day or another. But uh, going back a little bit, I would like to talk about Emmy Werner, a developmental psychologist, and her very important work to answer your question. She went in the 1970s to the island of Kaui in Hawaii and studied the lives of 698 children from birth until middle age, until they were 32. It's an amazing piece of research. And some of these children were born into tough circumstances. There was divorce in the family, drug abuse or poverty. Others uh, were born into more agreeable circumstances. But it did not matter what they were born into. It did not matter what personality traits they had. One third of them grew up to be resilient adults. What this one third of the group shared growing up were these four factors. One, they had good problem solving skills. They had learned to solve problems on their own. Two, they had good communication skills. They made friends and they kept their friends. Three, they had a role model or a mentor in their lives growing up that they could share their secrets with, ask their questions to. And finally, they all worked in the community helping others. So they had a good sense of help and, and gratitude. So I think um, this, is, this is a good point to start talking about how we develop resilience in children and also in ourselves. You've just highlighted four central and most important things which hopefully we can start developing in our children and i'm going to ask you how maybe i mean you talk about good problem solving skills you know we have a tendency if we can to want to over rescue our children want to let them burn their fingers but you also want to see that they're not third degree burns <laughs> it's quite <laughs> that is true it's quite difficult to be able to do that good communication well if we look at good communication 
education. And I'm sure if I say to you, how do you think children learn or, or how do they learn these kind of things? It's example, example and example. So how do we communicate with them? Are we authentic? Can we say sorry if we mistake? Can we step back? How do we keep those lines of communication open? I guess feelings don't grow up. And these needs don't grow up. I mean, they're just housed in bigger bodies. Everything that you said you need for a child, we've also needed for ourselves, you know, having all of this. Yes. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, main principles of resilience that we always talk about is resourcefulness. Being able to ask for help and get the help you need. Make a get help map for yourself. And a support group is exactly that, or your support person during this time. I personally have those, and I have different people for different kinds of support. For example, I still, from time to time, talk to my therapist because that's a different kind of emotional support that I need sometimes to keep things in check, especially. It, when and if I need to face uh, a loved one uh, leaving this world because of COVID. And then I have my Purpose Quest group, which is a group of or five ladies. And uh, we started talking about our life's purpose and meaning. And we still continue this conversation once a month to bring us back to what keeps us alive and gives us meaning in our lives, so on and so forth. So I, I think resourcefulness is quite important and actually sitting down and making a get help map, you know, a resource map for yourself would be really helpful during this time. For you, resourcefulness, you're talking about in two ways, I think. The one is finding resources. In other words, reaching out and understand the strength of vulnerability the power of vulnerability, the power of authenticity. And when you recognize the power of reaching out and having people understand you, it validates you. But the other resourcefulness you were talking about is being resourceful in terms of the ability to problem solve, to look at something and to see that there might be different perspectives, different ways of looking at it, finding another way. One of them might be reaching out, but looking at not giving up in the face of that kind of adversity and being resourceful, which also goes with the flexibility that you were talking about. Is, have I got that correct? Yes, you did. Here I'd like to um, go into vulnerability a little bit more because I think it's, it's very important. All of us in our adult life, find it difficult to to go and ask for help or to really be vulnerable in front of somebody as to uh, you know be exactly the way we are and express how we're feeling very openly but without doing that uh, it's very difficult to trust yourself and to trust life and to to have faith i think as we go through ages and stages in life we kind of leave this behind because we are trying to find the perfect partner we're trying to find the perfect job and go up the ladder and perform and perform and the process is is forgotten and so I find, this may sound a bit funny actually, but I find that if we can bring that child in all of us to the forefront again, because a child is actually quite vulnerable. A child is, can be very carefree. 
um, you know, they can cry and then laugh uh, right after. A child can be very curious, asking lots of questions. Then a child can be very courageous to go after what they want without calculating uh, all the risks or all the vulnerability it involves. So if you get back in touch with that child in you, it will help with vulnerability and resilience. How does it play out? with someone who needs to seize themselves as a leader who has to have the answers who other people look up to of needing to appear to be strong and we are saying to them in these or in different words look access the child access the emotional child be open and vulnerable and they're saying to you yeah right you know how's that going to go down on monday morning with my executive team Tell me more about how am I going to do that and get the benefit of it when I'm feeling that it isn't what I've tried to develop, my image. Well, it's, it's certainly a challenge because there are too many things at stake, right? For people, um, the higher up you go, the more difficult it becomes. Here, I think, I was actually speaking about this uh, with a good friend of mine this morning. It boils down to uh, the schemas that we have, you know, schema therapy and the schemas we have in looking at life. And leaders tend to be very perfectionist and they tend to be very entitled. These two schemas are very high up the ladder. So everything has to be 100%, if not more, and simply perfect. And you are entitled to your opinion and the way you want to live your life. But here we are in the middle of COVID showing us otherwise. We cannot be entitled to the life we want because we simply aren't. This is constricted. And life is far from perfect, isn't it? We, we are stuck at home having our meetings over Zoom and wearing masks and going through many, many hurdles. So I think one way or another, going through trauma and sudden change makes you accept the fact that you cannot control everything. Therefore, there is nothing, perfectionism or entitlement are not real, and that's not reality. And therefore, if you see that and you accept that, I think vulnerability starts coming through. Also, what starts coming through are the values uh, the purpose you have in your life, what values are really important for you? So how do we know, are there ways, as we've spoken about courage and we've spoken about flexibility and adaptability and realistic optimism, and we've also spoken about ways that are important, central things that we have to focus on to develop these things through lots of research, good problem solving, excellent communication, having a mentor or role model in your life, a support system. So how do you actually assess how you're doing? Are there such things as resilience scales or is it just to do with being able to say to yourself at the end of a tough day or a challenging week or, an or you know, looking at yourself in the mirror and giving yourself that wink or a thumbs up and saying, you know, girl, you did good today. You coped with it. You know, you didn't fall apart. You took other people along with you. Is it a subjective thing? How do you know mm. how well you're doing? Well, 
It is both, actually. It is a subjective view of yourself, of course, and you can simply ask yourself, how resilient was I in this situation or am I? How realistic am I? Do I uh, face what's going on or do I hide from it <laughs> under the covers? How resourceful am I? Am I actually going after getting some help in those areas that require help and I can't face alone? Or how proactive am I? Am I um, sort of like frozen, inactive, or am I doing something for those things that I can change? And do I have hope and how can I get hope? So you can actually answer these questions. If you'd like to dive deeper and get a perspective on it, there is a personal assessment survey that I use for resilience, which looks at anything from communication skills to helping others, getting help yourself and emotional control to assess your resilience levels. Then uh, there is a resilience at work survey from the European Institute that I use, which compares your resilience levels in terms of the values and the strengths you put to use at work, your proactivity, your stress management, your physical health, and compares your resilience stock with the rest of the workforce in the world, uh, which gives you a pretty good perspective as to where you would like to work on. Are you saying that there are very uh, recognized scientific scale probably the most important thing is how are you feeling good about yourself are you feeling that you're managing can you ask for help when necessary and all the other things that you need and so we ask now okay we understand what it is it's more than coping it's more than bouncing back it's flexibility and adaptability to the extreme it's courage to not shove everything under the carpet or pretend that it's not there. It's the ability to face what is going on in your life. It's the development of skill with help to deal with it. So it's facing that reality and not allowing yourself to be hijacked by, I mean, we. I think that you also talk a lot about the fact that the primitive brain, the emotional brain, the, the housed in the amygdala part of the brain, serves to fight, mm. to flee or to fight, and then takes away our capacity to think. So we have to be able to see a gap sometimes, see a gap between stimulus and response, stop, slow ourselves down, get into the adult thinking part of the brain, and say, okay, what is the reality of the situation? What is really happening now and not the, I think you want to say something, not allow yourself you just reminded me uh, how, I don't remember who, but how they summarize resilience. And I think this is what you're talking about. It's a pause with a purpose. I love that. Pause with a purpose it is. Because so often, you know, you don't see the pause. You just get swept away. And a lovely question that someone said to me, it was actually a doctor who was working in the front lines. And he was saying that there have been times that he has just felt hijacked by the extent of what he's going through and the panic and the pause. And the purpose for the pause is to get back in control again. Otherwise, you're useless to everybody. And he said to me that sometimes a question that I say to myself is, what would I tell my colleague at this time? Tell my friend something. And usually what you would tell your colleague, you need to tell yourself right at that moment, this hasn't happened yet. 
You have had tough experiences before. You have overcome them. Stop. Take stock. You can get this. You know who you are. Breathe. Get yourself under control into the moment and then deal with what you're dealing with now, which is what you've been talking about. What would you say to people about what they can do in terms of building their resilience and focusing on it? I would say, first of all, start small. If you try to leap, you will fall, then you will stop trying. So start with small steps that you can take into your life as, as routines. And the other day, I, I asked a question to Carol Kaufman, who's a leading uh, coach and researcher at McLean Hospital at Harvard. And I said, if we were to wake up as a leader more resilient tomorrow, what advice would you give them? You know what she said? It really surprised me at first, but then it dawned on me. She said, I would tell them to be healthy and sleep well. Because, you know, if, if you're not physically fit, you can't be mentally fit or resilient. And therefore, your sleep is a major nourishment of, of resilience. So, for example, if you're not sleeping well, then take small steps to, to fix that and move from that. Do some adaptability exercises for your mind. And I think this simply comes from pushing yourself into curiosity and challenge. You know, the famous fixed mindset versus the growth mindset we talk about. So push yourself to do something that's tough for you. For example, I've been putting off learning French. Oh, I don't have time, you know, and uh, I would like to learn French really well so I can read books in French. But that's, that's not the point. Just go take some elementary French courses. It's a completely new language and tackle it. Tackle the pronunciation, tackle the words. That's going to make your brain think in different ways. And that's going to make you more adaptable. Small steps like this, I think. There's Amin Tufani, who works uh, with lots of leaders and does a lot of research at Singularity University on something he calls AQ, adaptability quotient. And he talks about an interesting concept called retrocasting as opposed to forecasting. I just remember that. I, I would like to share that. I, I find that quite difficult to do, but once you get your mindset around it, you, you can do that as an adaptability exercise. We look at today and we plan the future, right? He says, no, don't do that. Imagine a future and then step by step, come back to today. So do the planning in reverse with some imagination. And I think that's what Viktor Frankl did at the camps. And also people like Stephen Covey and all those people who said start with the end in mind. Don't look at the obstacles because then you get people say, but that's, you can never do that. That's unrealistic. And even more than that, face reality. And you say that you give yourself those messages. But the thing is that it's possible to create another reality, you know, by looking at it and then saying, okay, let's go backwards. I love that, the let's go backwards part. It's a much clearer way of how you're going to get there than to stop yourself in your tracks right in the very beginning. It also opens up more possibilities and you can imagine everything you want that you have forgotten about. I'm sitting here and imagining... Look, I've got to say that it didn't work too well at the beginning of lockdown because I thought, fine, I am going to exercise every week, every single day. I'm going to eat 10 kilos. I'm going to sleep eight hours a night. 
possibly learn three languages and read all of those books that are on the side of my thing, you know. <laughs> of course, what you're saying is make it realistic. Choose one of the things. And you keep mentioning baby steps, baby steps. If you were to offer your nuggets, I mean, you've given some advice of how to start, but like your three tips that you want to leave people with. I would say be as carefree, curious, and courageous as a child. And I would like to hear quote my favorite, um, one of my favorite authors, Ursula Gwynn, if I may. She says, I believe maturity is not an outgrowing, but a growing up. That an adult is not a dead child, but a child who survived. Sure, that's beautiful. A child who survived and kept the, the inner child intact. Yes. Ah, just lovely. Thank you so, so much, Shile. Thank you. It's been a huge amount to think about. You've spoken about the characteristics. You've spoken about the journey. You've made us recognize that it's possible to get there, even if we're not there now. And you've spoken about how you actually develop it and engender it. And for all of that wisdom, and a lot to think about, and for who you are, and showing a little bit of yourself to us too, I thank you very much on behalf of all our listeners of Thrive with Dr. Dean. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dory, for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much. See you next time. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast.